Let's get into the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, we'll be looking at for the final time today, for the final time. That is page 948 in those blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you if you're using one of those. You know, I did have one more announcement. I just can't help myself here. So Candy and her daughter, Caitlin, will be Candy Cook, are going to be heading off to Argentina this Friday, flying down there. They're going to spend a week down there to support the missionaries that we support down there, Jim and Janet Wine. So I'll post something on the table concerning that, but just wanted to let you know, where are you guys? Where are you? They're right over there. And so you're so fired up to take that uh, 12-hour total flight uh, down to, to South America? Yes? And excited. They're going there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved, and to help, yes. They're going to do a good work, and they're going to help uh, our dear uh, brother and sister Jim and Janet Wine that are down there now uh, and doing that full-time. So keep them in prayer. They'll be back the following Saturday, and probably very exhausted, but very blessed as well, I trust. So, All right, we are uh, here. This is, like I said, we've been in this section of God's Word now forever. Well, for a while, and this will be uh, the last, last time. This is part nine, part nine, final message. And let me just repeat something to you that I've said before. This section of God's Word is basically a short series of exhortations or commands or rules concerning how Christians are to appropriately conduct themselves in the world. And there is an emphasis on how we are to relate to those both inside the church and those outside the church. And while we have talked quite a bit about how to properly relate to those inside the church as we've moved through this section, today, today the focus will be on how we should conduct ourselves toward those outside the church. And let me be more specific. We are going to see our duty or what our duty is toward personal enemies toward personal enemies or non-Christians who do evil to us. Non-Christians who do evil to us. Okay, that's going to be the focus. And one writer, just commenting on that, if you remember at the beginning of chapter 12, at the beginning of this chapter, verse 2 specifically, where it talks about this transformed life, this renewed mind, he says, when our our minds have been renewed to grasp God's will, all our relationships become transformed. All of them, beloved. God speaks to every single one of them, not just our relationships with our wife, with our children, with those in the church, but also our relationships with those outside the church, even with those who persecute us, even with our enemies, that relationship as well is to be transformed, is to be changed, is to be conformed to what the Word of God says, okay? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to read the entire text one more time, and that's verses 9 through 21, and then we'll... We'll jump right in. Beginning in verse 9, beginning in verse 9, the Word of God says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, 
but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is where we left off last week, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our text. That's the text we've been looking at. Specifically, we'll be uh, finishing it off, looking at verses 17 through 21. The topic that Paul touches on in verse 14, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, a verse that we, we already covered several weeks ago, is now more fully developed in verses 17 through 21. That is the way Christians are to respond and relate to their enemies or evildoers or those who do evil to them, okay? Beloved, let me say up front that the commands we're going to look at here in a little more detail, they are absolutely countercultural. They're countercultural. That is, they stand in opposition to the way mainstream society thinks and behaves. That's what countercultural means. But you know what, beloved? Christianity is countercultural. It's countercultural. I hope that's not a newsflash. Uh, But if it is, I'm just letting you know right now that if you're going with the way that culture goes, you're going against Christianity. You're opposed to Christianity because Christianity is flat out opposed to our culture because it is fallen. It is sinful. So generally speaking, Christianity is counter-cultural. The Christian is not to respond to evildoers as this fallen world would respond, okay? They're not to do that. Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. That's how the beginning of this chapter started. Do not be conformed to this world. And I told you that meant do not let the world around you fit you into its sinful and fallen mold, kind of press you into that mold. Don't let it happen. Instead, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. And we said the renewal of your mind takes place as you submit your mind to the word of God and the spirit of God begins to work in your life and gives you the ability not only to believe that word but to trust in it and to obey it, okay? All right. Let me just say this. The genuine Christian life, beloved, it's, it's not a sinless life, right? It's not a sinless life. Hmm? Okay, it's not a sinless life, but it should be a transformed life. Huh? Yeah. A life that reflects that it is no longer enslaved to sin. A life that manifests God's righteousness. Not our own, we don't have any, but the very righteousness of God. A life marked as walking in the same way Christ walked. A life characterized by an unfailing commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. A life that conforms itself to the revealed will of God, which we have right here. 
Don't got to go looking for it. It's right here. God's given it to us as, as one of the greatest gifts he possibly could have given to mankind, apart from his son, Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the Christian life. So now, with all of that, let's look at the commands. Let's look at the commands. Looking back at Romans chapter 12, verse 17, just the first part of it, Paul simply says this, repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. You will not find any exception clause in this passage unless they do this. You won't find that. Unless you're really mad. Unless they really wound you. Unless they really beat you. And we just read about the... The disciples being beaten for what? For proclaiming Christ, right? They counted all joy. They didn't go back and go, okay, man, these guys have got it coming to them. We're doing a drive-by tonight. <laughs> or a ride-by, I guess. I don't know, on their donkeys or horses or whatever. Uh, you didn't see that. You know, sometimes people talk about, I, you know, when, when it comes to the commands, obeying God, I, I've heard people say, well, I'm not Christ, you know, I'm not, I'm not Jesus, I'm not perfect. Yeah, okay, don't tell me something I don't know already. But they use that as an excuse for why they can't obey the word. These men obeyed the word. These were men doing this. This is what, men obeying the word of God. How is that possible? The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them to transform life. They're no longer enslaved to sin. They've been set free to live for God Almighty. And so have you if you're a Christian. No excuses, beloved. Repay no one evil for evil, no exceptions. So let me, let me just quote this. We're going to look at this more in detail, but let me quote this guy because it's good to say up front. The writer says this, To be sure there is a place for the punishment of evildoers in the law courts. And Paul will come to this in Romans 13. That's the next chapter, beloved. We're going to look at that together. There is a place for punishment. But in personal conduct, us conducting ourselves in this world and among the lost and among those outside the church, we are never to get our own back by injuring those who have injured us. You hear me? Do you hear me? Do you, better than that, do you hear what the Word of God is saying? Repay no one evil for evil. There is a place. God has instituted government for the purpose of exacting his wrath, his punishment. And there is a day of wrath coming where there will be a great reckoning, where God will set everything right, and justice will be served fully, completely, and perfectly. But you individual, me, personally, are not to take that matter into our own hands. That's what the text is saying. Repay no one evil for evil. Let's look at it a little bit more. Beloved, the, let me say it this way. The follower of Christ, the child of God, for them, retaliation and revenge is not an option. That's really what it's saying. Retaliation and revenge are not an option. In fact, it is absolutely forbidden. Paul says basically the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. There he says to the Thessalonians, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The apostle Peter also gives this very same command in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. There he says, Do not repay evil for evil. 
the book of Proverbs that Thomas has been taking us to, through, the book of God's wisdom to us, says this in chapter 20, verse 22, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. In another place in Proverbs, in chapter 24, verse 29, there it says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Do not say that. Do not say that. Beloved, what does our culture say? That is exactly what they say. Huh? I was just um I was just reading I, I don't follow any of this so I don't know but this uh I don't even know what they are ultimate fighters or something it's a female ultimate fighter or something and she's a big deal she's undefeated and she, huh Okay thank you Rousey is her name and um she's tough and you know these they go into these rings and they just they brutalize each other and they use every whatever I so they do this she was going down to Brazil. I guess there was a f- fight on maybe Friday or whatever. Don't hold me to the details. You know, I don't follow it. But I, I read the story. She's down there on Friday. She's there to destroy the Brazilian fighter uh, who has a, you know, close record. And, you know, so she knocked her out in 36 seconds. It was just over, wiped her out. But one of the things that she was saying was she was, uh, she was really angry. I guess Rousey's father had recently committed suicide. And I guess the fighter maybe had made some comments concerning that. And so Rousey said, uh, yeah, I'm going to punish her for that. I'm going to punish her for that. And, and now she knows, and everyone else knows, they better never say anything about my family again. That's the mentality, beloved. That's the mentality of the world. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. I'll hurt you. You better not hurt me. Huh? Beloved, that's, that's the mentality. Listen, gang violence would be over overnight If they all obey, do not do evil to those who do evil, right? It would be over. Do not say I will repay evil if they actually actually said that. But what do they say? We're going to get them back. And this isn't just gangs, beloved. This is normal folk who do this. huh? So don't think this is a gang problem. It's a problem even within the church. Ah! Okay? Life would go so much better if we would obey the Lord. You know, I was thinking just, this is not my notes, and I shouldn't do this because I have to finish on time. But listen, this morning, uh, Eric read beautiful reading of the Scriptures, beautiful section of God's Word, and where they said, we must obey God rather than men. Right? You remember that? We must obey God rather than men. I was just thinking when he said that, let men there include yourself. So here's what I mean by that. I must obey God rather than self. Let men include that. Let that be an application to you. That when self is crying out to disobey God, say to self, I must obey God rather than you, self. I will not repay evil for evil. Huh? Now, in light of the passages we just read, all those I just, Proverbs and Peter and Thessalonians and Romans, I can imagine someone bringing up an Old Testament commandment because this is what people do. Like, I'll get you, look, I'll show you, you're wrong, look. Uh, they'll bring up some, some passage, you know, somewhere in the scriptures, 
And it's one that's found in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. So it's not just in one place. And the commandment is concerning this. It says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Are you familiar with that? Hey, listen, pastor. I, you know, and it says, do not repay evil for evil. But what about that passage that says, eye for eye? Huh? Because that when I was growing up, so my dad said, they take out your eye, you take out their eye. <laughs> I don't my dad never said that, but maybe yours did. He may not have used that accent unless you grew up in the South or something. But, <laughs> but listen, listen to me carefully. And I, I just find this, especially with the world, but sometimes uh, misinformed Christians also do the same type of thing. And they grab a verse and just rip it entirely out of its context. That command, it is in the Bible, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was not given by God to endorse personal revenge. But rather it pertain to civil justice or the public administration of criminal law. It's in the law books and was intended primarily to protect the guilty from receiving a punishment that was more severe than the offense. So someone loses an eye, they say, you took out my eye, I'm going to take your life. No, that is way too severe. The punishment is to meet the crime, the seriousness of the crime. The seriousness of the punishment should meet the seriousness of the crime. So that's what those passages are about. And again, they're not on a personal level. They're within the, as I said, the public administration of criminal law, civil justice. That's what it pertained to, okay? And again, that's the danger of taking Bible passages and ripping them out of their original context. Beloved, while the thought of revenge or retribution or desire to get even might arise, probably has arisen within us, huh? At some point. Okay, okay. It must not be welcomed. It must not be welcomed into our hearts. Instead, it must be repented of immediately. Okay? We must repent of it. It is clearly not God's will for his children. And I've said this before. People are always wandering around going, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. Why don't you focus on what you do know is God's will for your life? And your life will go much better. And here it is. Do not repay evil for evil. Now look back at the text in Romans. We'll finish that thought in 12, 17. He says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Listen, the Christian is not only to refrain from any act of personal revenge, but they are also to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Or, as another Bible translation puts it, the Christian must try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Or, to put it another way, we must see to it that our public behavior is above criticism. Is above criticism. Regardless of any evil done against us, we are to act in a way that is visibly and obviously right or good or beautiful. That's what Paul's saying. 
in a way that is fitting and proper in the sight of all men. (laughs) Paul follows that statement with this one. Look at verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live what? That was said very peaceably. Live peaceably with all. Now, listen, Paul's comment in verse 14, we looked at a while ago, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And the one in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Both of those statements assume that Christians are in conflict with this fallen world around them. They both assume it, that it is happening, it is going on. And to an extent, beloved, this conflict is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. unavoidable. How, do I, how do I know that? How do we know that? How do we know that this conflict that Paul is addressing is unavoidable? Because Jesus told his disciples that that's exactly what would happen. Let me remind you, John chapter 15, and his disciples, by extension us, disciples of Christ, in verse 8, 18 and 19, Paul or Jesus said this, If the world hates you, this fallen, corrupt, sinful world, a world that is, that is controlled, being overseen by the, the evil one, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now listen, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, Right? The world gets along with the world, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, glory be to God that he did that, therefore the world hates you. John 17, a couple chapters later, he says again in verse 14, again now speaking directly to his disciples, his apostles, I have given them your word, he's praying for them, And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask, he's praying to the Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And we know he's not just talking about them, because a few verses later in verse 20 he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, Christians. We are not of this world. And because we're not of this world, and because we are following Jesus Christ, committed to Jesus Christ, the world hates us. The world hates us. They might mask it, beloved, but they hate us because they hate our God. They hate our Savior. They hate our Lord. They're still living in rebellion to Him. 2 Timothy 3.12, I've used this passage many times. Paul says there, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be. But even though there will be those who may hate us or even hurt us simply because of our identity with and commitment to Christ, we according to verse 18 in Romans, should still do everything within our power as far as it depends on us to be at peace or to live peaceably with all men. And Paul says here, if possible, 
if possible. Why? Because in some cases, peace will not be possible due to the unwillingness, at least it should be, due to the unwillingness of the other person, not to us, not because of us, but the other person who's unwilling to live in peace with us. And by definition, beloved, a peaceful relationship cannot be one-sided. It can't be one-sided. Peace is freedom from conflict among people. But nevertheless, as I already said, we must do what we can to live peaceably with all, which would include not only refusing to be an instigator of trouble, huh? refusing to do that, to instigate trouble, not, and not behaving or acting in a way that only makes the conflict worse, huh? we refer to that as stirring the pot, you heard that? Stirring the pot, if you don't know that phraseology, is it's kind of increasing the tension in drama, mixing things up, you know? Beloved, that shouldn't be a Christian. Christians shouldn't stir the pot. Christians shouldn't add to conflict or increase the tension. They shouldn't be troublemakers. They shouldn't be breaking peace. But beyond all that, living peaceably with all would also include attempting to restore peace when it is broken to be a peacemaker. One writer says this, short of compromising God's truth and standard. So what he means is we cannot compromise our commitment to Jesus Christ. We cannot deny Christ for the sake of peace. We must not. We must not compromise our our moral standards according to the word of God just for the sake of peace. That would be wrong as well. But short of compromising God's truth and standards, we should be willing to go to great lengths to build peaceful bridges to those who hate us and harm us. We must forsake any grudge or settle bitterness and fully forgive from the heart all who harm us. Having done that, we can seek reconciliation honestly. Now again, beloved, don't make the mistake. This is a, di- a directive, a command to the individual. So don't say, well, our government then should just, uh, they shouldn't be blowing people up and sending out bombs and all of this. Let me get to Romans 13 and then we can discuss that because the government is the arm of the Lord established by him who bears the sword against wickedness. Don't make that mistake of saying, well, then this applies to the government as well. No, it applies to us. As individuals, we are to seek peace among one another, even those outside of the church, non-Christians, who would seek to do us harm, seek to do evil to us, even persecute us for our stand for Jesus Christ. One writer says this, If disharmony and conflict should come, let not the responsibility be laid at your feet. You should not be the responsible party in that situation for that disharmony, for that conflict. You guys have any um, difficult neighbors? So be thinking about these things. Even in that light. Uh, maybe you just have people in your life who absolutely despise you, not because you're a jerk, hopefully, 
but because of your, because that would be something you need to repent of then, um, but because of your stand for Christ, because you love the Lord Jesus, because of your alignment with him, and they, they resist you, they are harmful to you in a multitude of ways. This speaks to that very situation. And one day, beloved, maybe, uh, we'll really be able to apply this on a more regular basis uh, when the hostilities increase. They're already increasing, but when they grow to a level where it becomes commonplace, you need to remember this passage. As a Christian, we are to live our life in such a way that we can genuinely and consistently say this, that I am doing all I can do. I'm doing all I can do, apart from compromising my faith, to live in peace with all men. Can you say that? That's the question for you to consider. Can you say that? If you can't say that, then what do you do? Oh, well, I can't say that. That's just the way I am. Well, you don't understand my circumstances. I don't know why I go to that voice. I don't know. I don't, I'm going to have to question myself about that. But, you, you know, let me just use a normal voice. You don't understand my circumstances. There it is again, Jeremy. You don't get it. You don't get it. Beloved, remember I said there were no exception clauses? There's no exception clauses here. It's written to everyone. And don't say that's just the way you are. You are a new creation in Christ. God redeemed you and set you free and empowered you that you might live for him. Stop using that lame and dumb excuse. And surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and rely on him to obey him. And you'll need to do that in every area of life, but certainly in this one. And let me say this too. I asked you, can you say that? And I want you to ask yourself that question. And and if you can't, then you need to change. That means you need to repent. You need to stop repaying evil for evil. You need to stop that. You need to seek peace with all men. And here, let me just say this. Beloved, beware of hearing the Scripture. Beware of this and not immediately responding to it. Beware of that. What happens when you do that, and I've seen this in people's lives, is over time, their heart becomes hardened to the word. They hear it, but that's the end of it. They don't soak in it. They don't let it have its, the word have its way with them. They don't immediately surrender themselves to it. And after time of that continual pattern, they can read the scriptures, the scriptures can be read to them, they can go to one sermon after another, and nothing is just bouncing off of a heart that they have allowed to become callous because they have chosen, rather than come under it and obey it immediately, they just let it kind of go in one ear and out the other. Don't do it, beloved. Discipline yourself. You hear this word or any word from the word of God, and you are pricked in your conscience by the spirit of God that I'm speaking to you, buddy. Listen and obey. Repent right there on the spot. Don't even wait till you get home. Right where you're sitting. Cry out to God in your heart and say, God, forgive me, for I have been repaying evil for evil. I am not seeking to live in peace with all men. Do it right now. And you will train yourself, train your flesh, that it will submit to God's word. Because you do it over and over and over again. 
Look back at the text. Bring that flesh under submission, beloved. Bring it under submission. Look back at the text. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now he's quoting, it is written, Deuteronomy 32, 35. He's quoting from the scriptures, the Old Testament. Paul, in this verse, is addressing the same issue here that he brought up in verse 17. He's just continuing the same line of reasoning, that personal retribution or revenge in response to evil to us is absolutely forbidden. Rather than the Christian taking matters into his own hands, as we might be tempted to do, huh, and wreaking vengeance on those who have, have wronged us, we are instead to turn the matter completely over to God. Why? Be- well, because that's what the scriptures say. But beyond that, he gives a why. Because vengeance belongs to the Lord. Listen, that is both the manner and the timing of the repayment of man's wickedness belongs to the province of God and not to us as individuals. Vengeance is not our domain, beloved. It is not our domain. It's not to be our domain. And when we act as if it were, we are basically attempting to play God. Did you hear that? We are basically attempting to play God. One writer says this, the essence of ungodliness is that we presume to take the place of God to take everything into our own hands. It is faith to commit ourselves to God, to cast all our cares upon him, and to vest all our interest in him. It is faith. One writer says, trust him to take care of the situation. He will not bungle. He said, what do you think? God's going to mess it up or botch it? I better do something about this because God's not going to get it right. If I don't do something, nothing's going to happen. No. Vengeance is the Lord's. Leave it to him. He will not be too lenient. He will not be too severe. He will execute his justice perfectly and in his timing. Beloved, just think about this when it perfectly and in his timing. You know, if it was up to us and we were the ones deciding the punishment and when that occurred and everything else, the whole world would be gone, be wiped out. We'd be wiping each other out left and right, right? I've said this before. If I was God and mankind sinned against me, you'd all be dead. You know, forget it. And think about what God did, though. He looked, he, he looked the other, he looked over it and he, he said, I'm going to resolve this matter of wickedness. I'm going to resolve it. 
Not by, not by destroying them, but for all those who I've chosen before the foundation of the world. I'm going to resolve this matter. I'm going to take this punishment that these wicked sinners deserve, and I'm going to pour it out on my son. Can you imagine such things, right? So if he would have poured it out on us, beloved, then we'd be dead the moment that we sinned, but he didn't. He poured it out on his son. See the wisdom, see the love, see the care and the compassion and the mercy. See the perfect plan. And then you want to come along and take vengeance into your own hands? But you were perfectly okay with God taking care of the vengeance that you deserved against you when he poured out his wrath against you on his son. You were good with that. But now, oh no, you've been wounded. you got to take care of this. See the foolishness in that? Remember that according to God's word, beloved, we are to walk as Christ walked, right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, that God's will for us is to be conformed to the image of his Son. That was Romans chapter 8. So remember these bracelets, right, that people used to wear. They're really popular. What would Jesus do? So I guess if someone persecutes you, then you look at your bracelet and you go, what would Jesus do? Here's a better bracelet. What did Jesus do? What did he do? I don't have to go, what would you do? I have no idea. Could you send me a sign or something right now? I gave you my word. I don't know why you keep doing that. Look into the word. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And so here we have it concerning this matter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 23. Here's how it reads. For to this, speaking to Christians, you have been called. What is he talking about? Well, if you read before... He's talking about doing good and suffering for it and then patiently enduring. Doing good and suffering for it and then patiently enduring. And he says, for to this, what I just told you, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He did nothing wrong. He did everything right. But when he was reviled, he did not revile. He did not attack back. In return, when he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christ was confident that the Father's justice would prevail, that he would be vindicated. He did not strike back, but left it to the Father. One writer says, Jesus' silence in suffering is the most remarkable evidence of his non-retaliatory spirit since the urge for revenge can be almost unbearable when mistreatment takes place. Huh? Listen, beloved. I'm not saying, remember, I'm not saying that you won't have those urges. We've all had them. I'm saying you must not allow it to control your life. You must repent of it. You must turn from it, and you must walk as Christ walked. The bottom line is when we have been unjustly harmed or wronged under no circumstances are we to render punishment 
for the offense ourselves, we simply do not have the right according to God's word. That is an amen, beloved. And listen, again, if you're on Facebook or any social media, I don't know. This stuff comes through all the time. It's glorified. My wife just showed me one this morning with, with a, and because we like to ride motor, uh, motorcycles. And so she saw this motorcycle thing, and, and the guys, if you don't know, it's very dangerous on a motorcycle because people don't pay attention. And so in a car, you get banged, that's fine, but on a motorcycle, you're probably going to be seriously injured or be dead. So we take great offense at cars that don't pay attention when we're driving on a motorcycle. Sure enough, this guy's riding down the lane, and the car just, it's a two-lane road, you know, one way each way, and the car just drifts over into his lane, truck just drifts over into his lane. So he has to, you know, do a maneuver real quick. But he doesn't just keep riding, the, co- the motorcycle doesn't keep riding. No, what does he do? What do you think he does? It's Rama, turn around, Rama, turn around. Right? He's on one of those crotch rockets, so he speeds back to, to the truck, and the truck pulls over. And of course, what does the truck person do? They, they get out and say, I am so sorry. I am, no, no. He gets out. You know, he gets out. Now the guy's on the bike. You know what's going to happen, right? And so they're going at it. He, they're going at it. The guy was wrong, but this guy's wrong too on the bike. He's wrong. He's going to come back. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna do something, right? He's stirring it up. So here he comes. And then the next thing you see is a, another guy, another motorcycle guy, maybe his friend, quickly, you know, and by the way, this is all recorded because they wear these cameras on their helmets now. And so he comes up, and as the guy's speaking, the guy in the truck, he just headbutts him with his helmet. And the guy's just, you know. And then the music plays. Like, that's so awesome, you know. That's, beloved, that's the world. That is what we see over and over again in movies and in television and even in conversations with those around us. Oh, no, man, no one's going no to take advantage of me. No one's going to do something to me. I'll take care of business. That's what I'm going to do. That's the world. We do not have the right according to God's word. You're a child of God. You do not have the right. No one has the right, but you as a child of God, certainly you should know better because it's right here. And beyond that, you have been empowered to live differently. So do it. Do it. But guess what? That is not all that Paul says concerning the matter. We're almost done. Look back at the text, Romans 12, 20. He says this. Leave it to God, right? Don't take your own vengeance, but to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul is quoting here from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22a. That's a quote. Referring to the command to give food or drink to your hungry or thirsty enemy, one writer comments, listen, to withhold vengeance is one thing. It requires only doing nothing. But to actually return good for evil, that's quite another. Huh? That is quite another, beloved. That is supernatural living. That is real Christianity. That's what it looks like, beloved. That's what it should look like. So concerning our personal enemies, according to God's word, it is no to retribution, we are to say, no, and yes to compassion. Or to put it another way, we should replace vengeance with compassion. Replace our sinful vengeance with compassion. Why compassion? Well, 
besides it being a reflection of the character of Christ and our Heavenly Father, besides that, the end of verse 20 says, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> yeah, I knew somewhere there was vengeance in here. Get him! If I'm nice to him, it's a way to hurt him! Um, so maybe you were thinking that. I don't know. It, I, it does initially sound like something bad or, or almost like retaliation of some sort, but that is certainly, that is certainly not the case. Listen, scholars believe the metaphor, that metaphor, burning coals, pour, pouring burning coals on, the, on, the, on one's head, it's linked to an ancient Egyptian practice of carrying a tray of burning coals on one's head as a sign of contrition or deep remorse or great intense shame. You go, well, that's weird. Okay, that's what it is. You know, all cultures have things that are different and, and different from us, but that is what they did. So they, they believe the metaphors link back to that. Based on this, and I think more importantly, the immediate context where Paul has been urging Christians to avoid a spirit of retaliation, and especially the next verse, 21, and its reference to overcoming evil with good... That's the context. Most Bible commentators conclude that the metaphor burning coals represent, represents burning pangs, uh, pains, basically, burning pangs of shame. Burning pangs of shame. That that's the idea here. This shame is brought about by our kindness toward them in response to their hostility. All right, follow me. Based on that, one commentator goes on to say this. Acting kindly toward our enemies is a means of leading them to be ashamed of their conduct toward us and perhaps to repent and turn to the Lord whose love we embody. Another writer says this. Our personal responsibility is to love our enemy according to his needs and genuinely to seek his highest good. The coals of fire this may heap on him are intended to heal, not to hurt, to win, not to alienate. In fact, to shame him into repentance. Now, one writer points out that Paul's not claiming here that our acts of kindness toward our enemy will always result in repentance. There are no guarantees. But he is saying that doing good is the best means to subdue him and win him over. One writer says this, the world's philosophy leads men to expect retaliation when they have wronged another. To receive kindness to see love when it seems uncalled for, that can melt the hardest heart. That is what God calls us to. Now look back at the text one more time, and Paul concludes this section with this final exhortation in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Beloved, simply put, to respond to evil with evil is 
to be overcome by it or conquered by it or to give into it, but to repay good for evil is to overcome evil with good. And that is exactly, that is exactly what we are called to do as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this, beloved, to those, let me say actually right now to those who are, are not followers of Jesus Christ. You can't submit to any of this. Not truly, not genuinely. You won't be able to obey the Lord and his commands. You won't be able to. But more importantly than that, you are separated from God. You remain at this point under his wrath. And if you die in that state, there are no second chances. There are no do-overs. There are no no multiple lives. There's none of that. If you die in that state, you'll be sentenced ultimately to a place called hell, separated from God forever, receiving your due penalty for your unwillingness to repent and bring yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ and receive by faith the free gift that he gives to all who will call upon his name and say to him, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I stand guilty before you. I am deserving of your wrath. But I believe the word of God. I believe the testimony of the apostles. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, Son of God, Redeemer, Reconciler, Savior, and that He died for me. He took my sin upon Himself. He paid the price that I might not have to pay it, that I might be made right with you again, Father. I believe that with all my heart. Come into my life. Redeem me. Save me. Give me your Spirit that I might live for you. Beloved, those of you who are, are apart from Christ right now, who do not have that saving relationship, I would call on you to obey right now what I just said. To bring yourself under that word and to submit your life to the Lord Jesus. Okay? Submit your life to the Lord Jesus. If you have questions about that on our, on our, rec, on our card, on our connection card, if you have interest in starting a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're just not even sure what all that means and you need more information, we want to give it to you. We want to share that with you. So I'm appealing to you. Put that information down. And I said all that because right now what we're going to celebrate is communion. It's a meal for the body of Christ, for those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. And if that's not you, don't partake in this meal. It's not for you. It's not for you. Brother Thomas, would you come up and lead us now in communion?